It's time to become a member of Playvolution HQ and Exploration's Early Learning. There's a free option and three paid patron-level options. All come with free stuff and ongoing automatic training and merch discounts. For as little as a dollar a month, you can become a patron. That supports our work and you get premium stuff like early access to fresh podcast episodes. Go to explorationsearlylearning.com slash membership or click the link in this episode's description to learn more. All the cool listeners are doing it. On with the show. Coming to you from suburban Newcastle, Australia, Nicole Halton from Inspired EC. How you doing, Nicole? G'day, mate. So I need to throw you a g'day, mate, every now and then. Um, good day. Yeah, good. I'm really good. Hey, did you see how that that ep- last episode we recorded together? I threw in a mate. Did you? Did, did, you? did, you, did Yeah, I threw in a mate. Just it was seamless. It was seamless. Yeah, I threw in a mate. That's I didn't impressive. do. I didn't do. I didn't try to mate. I didn't yeah, try to no. do a fake accent, See, but I just if you I just, tried to Australianize it, then I would have yeah. known straight away. But it was a seamless mate integration yep. into conversation. I, in, I love I it. In a seamless mate. Um, we're gonna. I got a got a topic for you. We'll get into it in a minute. But um, this morning, uh, well, it was actually early afternoon, walking along the beach and uh, saw baby sea turtle. Oh, uh, just just tiny. If you like, put your 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 index finger and your thumb together. That little oval. That's probably about the size of a shell. Just a oh. just a tiny little shell. It was just in the surf. There's some people. There's some people there by it, and and it's and they're like it, it's up in the sand first, and it gets into the surf, and then whoosh, it goes away. So I don't think it was born there on the beach. I think it's been out in the water for a while, and it just kind of the tide brought it in. So, um, hey buddy, hope you survive if you're listening to the show. Hey, buddy. Good I'm job. sure he is listening. Uh, yeah. So it's nice to nice to see some something live on the beach once in a while. Yeah. All, all the dead stuff that I've been seeing. Um, so uh, this 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 topic. Um, this is this is a, a phrase, um, an idea, a thought that I ran across to on on a, a blog I read. Uh, it's uh, Altho Altho Altho's uh, and Altho's is the. Uh, the uh the blogger she's been blogging for like 20 years or something and she's a she's a retired um law school professor and and so she she's just interesting um and and she's got this 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 uh this phrase comes up that uh she thinks that uh better 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 than nothing is a high bar in in terms of of, of doing anything um and I, I thought you would be the perfect one to talk to about this because we're we're in agreement on on how doing nothing can just be delightful sometimes. Should I should I go out yeah. and hang out with with other humans or should I stay no. home? Uh doing nothing at home Nothing's is probably better good. than uh should I should I go on social media? Uh no, not doing doing no. nothing is better. And and so I I thought we could bat this idea, this concept around and then maybe kind of connect it to to early early learning a little bit too so do you have any any initial thoughts yeah like as you said I do do enjoy a bit of doing nothing um having said that nothing it, 
nothing's probably not even the right term. It's you're never really yeah. doing nothing. Like it's yeah, just, nothing is always something. Yes, it is. It's something. It's a conscious choice to lay on the beach and stare at the ocean. It's a conscious choice to you know, I don't know, lay in bed. It's a conscious choice to just read a book or whatever. Like there's always something. It's just a. I guess it looks like nothing to other people. Maybe, maybe it's a a judgment on whether it's a something or a nothing. I don't know. Um, but I'm a huge fan of doing nothing. But I'm not sure as to the context in which she's saying this. I need some more context. Well, okay. So I thought if we pulled this in, I, I think uh, the, the nothing. I, I I think that the something would be burning calories to make a change, right? So um, am I am I happier sitting here on the sofa reading my Kindle, drinking a cup of tea with the dog laying at my feet, or should I be doing something else? Uh, playing playing Tetris and and watching uh watching a ball game instead of starting to write those kind of things. Uh, yeah. We're kind of wired. We're kind of wired for for nothing in a lot of ways. But when it comes to early learning, I think there are a lot of people that feel they always need to be doing something. They need yeah. to be adding to the play. They need to be trying to build on what the kids are already doing. There, there, there seems to be a, a bias towards doing something when in a lot of early learning situations, whether it's behavior management or setting up a play environment, doing nothing might be the best something that you could you could do yes and yeah that that context is perfect because I completely agree I think we step in way too often when we're not needed um and sometimes it's not that we need to do nothing for the entirety of time but say the behavior thing for example you just sort of gave that example there of behavior um sometimes we actually need to do nothing and let children kind of unpack the emotions or sort out, like kind of go through the motions of arguing with one another over who's going to do what. And whereas we jump in, it's like, what are we arguing about? How can we resolve it? And we, we jump in with the best of intentions. So we're doing something with the best of intentions. It's like, we want to give them skills and we want to model, you know, how to efficiently solve a conflict or whatever. We also want to solve the problem because we don't want to listen to children fighting or, you know, we don't want to see someone get hit over the head with a shovel or, you know, we want to jump in and fix it. But I think when we do nothing for at least a period of time, we give children the opportunity to do the something for themselves, you know, and to work out what the something is without us. Whereas I think we're just, we tend to be more likely to want to do something to fix a problem than what we perceive as nothing and sometimes it's even um I can remember having a child in our care who cried at the gate constantly um and obviously the gate was like right at the front of the service and so parents were coming in and this child would often be like at the sign you know face stricken and but most of the time if you went to them they actually escalated so if you went and you kind of tried to comfort them or whatever, it would get even worse. And so our educators had kind of determined that you needed to actually let that child be for at least probably about 10 minutes mm-hmm. and then start to gradually move a little bit closer. And so we'd sort of develop these strategies 
But I had educators who'd say, I feel like as parents are walking in, they're looking at me like, you're not doing anything. You're not, and I am doing something, but I'm making a conscious choice in a way to do nothing. Yeah. So I, I think, so a lot of times people get called into doing something because they're they're concerned about how they're being perceived or judged by yes. others. Yes. And so I don't I don't know exactly what what we would what a what a catchy title for that would be a label for it, but uh, there's that kind of a uh, judgment per judgment prevention jumping in. Yeah, something, something along like those that. Lines. <laughs> um, and then another one, another one you were talking, you you touched on. Um, uh, it's it's preventative jumping in that we do. Yeah. Um, and and so I think those are two flavors of of the I got to do something. Um, and and all of that jumping in, it it usually often revolves around adults doing a thing and taking away the opportunity for the kids to do it themselves to do the, to do the thing. Um, and and look, most adults already know how to manage complicated or emotionally charged social situations. I'm not saying we know how to do it well, but we've all got our own strategies. Uh, yep. Three and four year olds are still trying to figure out their strategies. And so by by doing nothing, by by realizing that doing nothing is a is a high bar to cross, you have to have a reason to trigger action from what you're already doing. Um, I, I think we by 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 holding back and quote unquote doing nothing when that nothing is actually the something of not doing anything. So complicated. Um, <laughs> so complicated. You're, you're you're giving kids the ownership and and you're showing them that you trust them to to at, at least move a little bit further along in in dealing with that situation. Now you might eventually have to jump in. Yeah. But I think we do it way way too way soon. too early. We do, we do it way too early, way too frequently. Yeah. I, and I, I think I that's think. the perfect example with that, you know, that sort of problem solving. Even watching a child trying to, I don't know, do up their shoelaces or something and, you know, we're quick to kind of go here, let me help you. Like, I can see that yeah. you need help. Let me help you. And the reason we do that, we don't like to see them struggle. We might have our own agenda. We're trying to get out the door or, you know, like there's sure. there's typically, and it is often an adult agenda, like I want you to be able to do this or I'm going to teach you the method or whatever. But sometimes we actually need to let them struggle a little bit too, you know, that when we struggle, we learn things about ourselves. We learn things about, you know, a process. Um, I was fortunate or and still am fortunate to have a youngest child who loves the struggle, loves to struggle. Um, and so every time I'd try and jump in with, can I help you with that? You know, let me, let me do it for you or whatever. She pushes back on that. And she still does. She's eight and she still pushes back. It's like, no, I'm not doing it. You're no, no, don't help me. And it's like, okay. And so, you know, the strategy I've have developed with her over the years and I developed it for a lot of reasons was I'm here if you need me. So I would do nothing, but also let her know that if you need me, I am here to help. Yeah. But it's like giving that little bit of space. So it's like, okay, I'll sit and watch you struggle, not a problem. But I'll also let you know that, you know, I yes, I am watching you struggle, but I'm happy to help if you choose that you need that help. 
you know, I might be thinking, oh my gosh, we've really got to get out the door, please just get your shoes done up. But I recognize that it's important for her to get to that point herself where she either says, hey, I need help or I've got it. And half the time she would just get it herself and she'd be like, mm-hmm. hmm, give me that look like, told you, you know, I didn't need you <laughs> after all. <laughs> and I think that's what happens with children, you know, in early learning settings is, you know, when we give them a little bit of space to kind of test things out themselves, even that sort of social navigation, you know, who's who's playing what in the game and you, you've got three children that all want to be the doctor but not everybody can be the doctor and no one wants to be the patient and how do we navigate that? And so many educators are quick to jump in and say, well, if you have a turn at this and then we'll set a bell and then when that bell goes, then it can be your turn or, you know, we've fixed the entire problem. But often we, the children lose interest and they don't want to play anyway because they haven't, you know, it kind of goes back to like, raise conditions of play like they Mm. haven't actually you know freely chosen and you know self-directed and somebody else has actually come in and taken control and so in those sorts of instances we are much better off doing nothing and as hard as it is to watch children kind of wrestle through that and you're thinking I've got the solution it'd be so much easier if you just did it this way um I think they need that yeah yeah and and the the something the something that you're really doing when you're doing nothing, when you're stepping back and letting them struggle is, is often some version of, of biting your tongue. Yeah. Well, no doubt, no doubt. <laughs> um, yeah. But it's also the, um, like it's stepping back, but you're not just disregarding what's happening. Like you don't step back and then just tune out, you know, you're sure. still tuned into what's actually happening and you're listening mm-hmm. and you're watching it play out and you're making decisions you're kind of responding as it's progressing and I think that is hard like to kind of hold back sometimes it is definitely a biting of the tongue but um it's you know I think it's um Alfie Cohen who says you know children uh don't learn to make decisions by following directions sort of thing it's like they need to actually be given the opportunity to make decisions and to you know to guide their own stuff if they've not got the opportunity to practice it then they have no idea what that actually looks and feels like. Yeah, yeah. I think it was also Elfie Cohen who who said Biting or wrote, the tongue. Yeah, yeah. Terrific yeah. teachers have teeth marks on their tongues. On their tongue. Yes. Um, it was. So yeah, and 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 so that that standing back, that holding your tongue is is really observation time so that that either you gain into insight into how they figure out the solution to the thing they're struggling with. Yeah. Or so you have more information that when you when you do, when you've reached that bar of, oh, I've got to take some action and intervene here, you've actually collected a lot more information about how to how to deal with that um, most effectively with that with that time where you're. Well, I think that's nothing. it, too, because often when we jump in, we don't have all the information we've overheard or we've seen like a snippet of what Mm -hmm. may have actually been happening and so you know one of the great examples is the educator who jumps in when you know one child hits another child with you know a toy or takes something from them and you jump in it's like oh you just took that from such and such you know blah blah blah, blah, and we go through that whole kind of thing but what we didn't see was the stuff that led up to that and the fact that that child actually had it to begin with or they're playing a particular game or this child had that you know like there's usually a whole background that unless we stop and just really kind of see what's going on and listen and 
we're just not going to know. You know, you just jump in, you make an assumption based on the snippet that you've seen or heard, and often we can get that wrong. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And and so we're, I think we're better off. And and look, I mean, this is probably not only in the classroom. This is probably in life in general. A good tip um, for for those moments where you're where, where people jump in and are called to action because they're they're worried they're being judged by not acting. I yeah. think the the best defense for that is being able to articulate if asked or when you just feel pressured or judged into mm. into blurting it out there, being able to articulate why you're not doing something or, or yeah. being able to explain that my not doing something is actually is something. Doing, doing something. And it, it, it takes some confidence there and you have to, you have to really know your own mind about these things, but with, with practice, you can say, yeah, I, I, I see that, uh, that so-and-so is, is threatening what's her face with, uh, with the shovel. But uh, I know that if I raise my voice just a little bit louder than normal, um, even if that shovel is on the downswing, there's a 95% chance I can stop it before it makes contact. Um, and I'm only two steps away and I, I, I can move pretty quick when I need to. Um, yeah. I've got the situation under control and there's a, there's a 90% chance they're going to work it out without me needing to get involved. So I'm going to, I'm going to, yeah. I'm going to ride that for a while. And I think um, that is a lot of it is that confidence to be able to articulate and to identify what's actually at play. And, you know, to be able to to communicate that well to others. And I think that's where the educators who jump in all the time, that's what they're actually lacking is that ability to really effectively assess a situation, know the children and, you know, kind of be able to make all those judgments, but then also articulate that to somebody else if they're feeling that need to do that. You know, if they're feeling more, you know, somebody that I work with or my boss is watching me and thinking I should be doing x y and z and you know for us here in australia we have um kind of this assessment and rating system and you have someone come out from the government department kind of observes and whatever and i know so many educators who jump in to everything while that visit's happening because they're worried that they're going to be seen as not being responsive and wow. not you know doing their job and i'm like i get where you come from with that but you've also got to be able to you know, is that how you really feel? And they're like, oh, no, but, you know, I know that the children can usually work it out, but I don't want to be. And I'm like, great, then you need to articulate that and say, you know what, I know these children and I know that they can usually resolve this problem by themselves and it's great for developing their confidence and developing their problem-solving skills and developing their social interactions and, you know, all of those sorts of things. Being able to articulate that to someone with confidence is tricky, you know, and I yeah. think it's not something that you're taught. It's something that you need to learn over time and, you know, well, it's and, and you're, you're probably into. in in a lot of cases people are taught the exact opposite thing yeah that you're taught you need to be jumping in all the time you need to be doing all yeah. the planning and you need to be doing all the prep work and all that kind of stuff and so if you're listening to this and you're thinking oh i'm a jumper inner um you are you're probably trained up to be a jumper inner um yeah. and if you decide you don't want to be it it does take it does take some practice and effort to to change that and part of it is is just doing it and just getting getting comfortable with the discomfort you're going to feel when you start doing that because i mean things like dramatic play 
um, caregivers are are taught that you know you got to set up a dramatic play space and you got to come up with a theme, farmers market, whatever it is, or veterinarian's office and and all that bullshit. Um, when when the truth is, when we give kids a blank slate in the dramatic play area and let them create from the very beginning, um, is is in in my mind there's a there's a, a three step cycle that's constantly going on in dramatic play and in other play, but in play there's the there's the planning where you figure out what you're going to play, and there's preparing where you're getting the materials together and you're 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 building you're just finding the right block that's going to be the cell phone and you're finding the uh, the 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 stuffed animals that are going to be the sick animals at the veterinarian clinic or whatever it is and then there's the actual playing and you're always cycling through these things you the play mm -hmm. goes on for a while and they stop and they do some more planning and preparing and they move on and and that's always going on but when we adults are doing all the stuff Instead of doing we'll nothing, away when when we're setting we're setting the stage for block play or sensory play or loose parts play, I'm amazed at how many people who think they've embraced loose parts play because they have have things that look like like loose parts, but then they over plan and they they cre they they create all kinds of this, rules for them. Yep. Yeah, they, they they take all the looseness out of the loose parts, and 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 even that kind of play would be better off if you would take a breath bite your tongue and just step back and see what happens. Do, do nothing. And then I think you can all, you can assess whether you need to step in at some point, you know, sure. that's part of that professional judgment. And you can see actually, you know what, you know, the way they're using that loose part, for example, is really unsafe at the moment. Maybe I can model some other ways we could use that or, you know, it's okay to, to guide children or to be an example or to you know play alongside or whatever but you've got to actually step back and let them give all of those things a bit of a go first and you know what you said about that planning and preparing I think is so important you know we do so much of that for children that they miss that stage themselves and so then they start the playing but then if their playing looks different to what we've expected then we feel like we need to jump in again and it's like back it up, <laughs> back it yeah. up. You don't need to be so involved. And, you know, I think children let us know when they need us to jump in and you know, it's far less than what we actually think. Yeah. Yeah. And, and when, when you, when you do decide that you you've reached that bar that, that nothing isn't tolerable anymore and you have to do something, um, I would recommend that you make it the smallest thing possible. Yes. Because a, a lot of times we jump in with with big things. I mean, and 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 look, we don't need to. A, a child falls down and they get a, a tiny. The skin is very broken. Little scrape on their on their knee. We don't we don't amputate the lower part of their leg. Um, start... <laughs> I, do, I do joke sometimes, like with my own children in particular, when it's like, oh my gosh, my leg, my leg. I'm like, oh, it looks like it's gonna have to come off. Yep. Yeah. 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 <laughs> right exactly. There. Done. <laughs> Yeah, you, you you probably don't want to you don't want to jump to that extreme right away. Maybe maybe a a cold compress would probably do it, or or maybe Run maybe the water. yeah maybe maybe moisten it um, with a kiss or some fresh water uh, uh, before you start breaking out the power tools. Um, and, and we can do that with our with our other interventions, whether it's a behavior problem or yeah. or even even something we see as a a safety issue issue or a danger. Um, going, going into panic, uh, big action mode right away can be, can be really overwhelming for. Well, and instead we can involved. come in with a, do you feel safe 
Like yeah. that's even a, a great first step is I'm thinking, oh my gosh, you've climbed way too high. I'm really concerned that you're about to fall out of that tree. And instead of my, hey, get down from there or reaching out to try and lift a child out of the tree, it's, hmm, you're really high. Do you feel safe? You know, ask them that question. It's like, you're still intervening. You're doing something, but it's not the extreme something. It's not the, you know, go straight for the, I have to fix this entire problem but yeah. you're still empowering a child to identify whether there even is a problem. You know what? Maybe I do feel completely safe or maybe they go, mm, actually, <laughs> no, I think I've gotten to a point where I'm a bit too high or, you know, and then I can help you if need be. But yeah, it's that whole concept of even um, like reflection in action. So it's yeah. like that, you know, there's the kind of reflection on action where you're thinking about it later. What did I do well? What could have been better or whatever? But then the reflection in action is so much trickier. And I think we do typically do it better in early childhood than in a lot of professions, but I think it's something we could still get better at. And it's that what's happening right now and do I need to do something or nothing? I saw a really great example once in an early childhood service and they'd had this meeting with all the children about where do you want to go and play? And they go around the circle of like 20 children. And of course they all said blocks just like one after the other. And so eventually there's 20 children converged on this block space that's designed for about, you know, eight children. Mm. And one of the educators is freaking out and like, oh my gosh. And she's trying to tell children, you're going to have to go and play somewhere else. And no, you were the last one here. So you're going to have to go and do this. And the other educator just calmly walked over and started to move one of the shelves and picked up some baskets and moved them out a little bit and just rearranged the physical space. And so she did something, but it wasn't the something that the other educator was doing. It wasn't the extreme kind of intervention. So neither of them did nothing, but the second one sort of really reflected as she was going about, okay, there's more children here than what we can handle. But if we can change the physical environment just a little, then we're mm. going to create enough space for the children to play. And she knew that that wouldn't last. She knew that all of those children wouldn't stay in that space. And so it was a, something that was a really simple fix, but then she could move back, but it wasn't making a big deal about it. It wasn't impacting the children, you know, directly as opposed to, oh, my gosh, you're going to have to go and play somewhere else. We don't have room for you here. So, yeah. you know, it's those little kind of moments where you can make choices about how involved do I get, what does my involvement look and feel like, and what impact does it have on the children's play. If I'm going to be a jumper in or and I think that's what you should probably name this episode, um, <laughs> jumper in or um, if I'm going to be a jumper in or at what level am I jumping in and what impact does that jumping in have? Yeah, yeah, I think that, that was a great example. Um, and, and, and look again, we get wired for, for doing this action where I take charge kind of, kind of person rah, rah, rah. Yeah. and, 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 and so there's that tendency in people. And then, and then plus there's, um, there's this, there's that fear of being judged. And, and, and then I think there's also, there's also that, that down talking people tend to do for themselves. Like I'm, I'm, if I'm not being actively involved in the kids that I'm not a good teacher and, yes. and and maybe maybe people inherit that from other people but I think it's just kind of it's kind of almost a human wiring that I need to be I need to look busy otherwise I'm not well it's even job. parents parents have that same sort of thing you know you take the example of say you know a mum and I'm going to use mums because I can relate to that but a mum who takes her kids to the park 
and then you know she the kids are busy playing in the park and she sits and reads a text message on her phone and instantly feels you know oh people are probably judging me and thinking what a bad mum I am because I'm on my phone while my children are playing on the playground little do we know you know that mum's been so involved all day they've done x y and z and people may not be thinking that unfortunately the internet tells us people probably are thinking that but people may not be thinking that but there's this inherent sense of if I'm not doing something if I'm sat back and just letting children do it themselves then I'm not doing anything and Mm -hmm. you know I think it's actually really valuable that we can sort of go you know what sometimes it's okay to do nothing and just to let them be but I'm not really 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 doing nothing yeah yeah I just I just that this this reminds me of my uh, you, you know, there are some people out there that that uh, that that don't like the 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 label of babysitter for early learning people. I, I think it's OK yeah. because I have I've had a lot of had a lot of babysitters back in my day that that mostly mostly sat there and watched the soap opera while the kids played. <laughs> and then they made sure we we got we got food and we had some water once in a while. But they they mostly they mostly did a good job of, of doing, of doing nothing. I think a lot of times, once you start feeling you're a professional educator, you feel like you need to be, you need to be doing something. And and so taking on, taking on a, a babysitter mindset once in a while, I don't think is, is maybe a, maybe a bad thing. thing. No, Um, not such a bad thing. There's some elements of that, that I think are, um, yeah, important, you know, that, that I don't actually have to always be doing everything for them. But yeah, I can be absolutely. here. It's about more about being present than actually what I'm physically doing. Uh, Nicole, I don't know if you know this, but there is a blurry orange man <laughs> behind you. There is a blurry orange man behind me. <laughs> <laughs> he just snuck in the house. I'm surprised it didn't get really loud when the dog realized that he was home. <laughs> <laughs> was, the, was, his, was his baby happy to see him? That's nice. <laughs> He was, and I thought, oh, the dog's going to get all excited because we got timber floors. I thought, here we go, the dog will be sliding all over the floors, and that's all you'll hear is the dog <laughs> getting all excited. <laughs> well, any 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 final thoughts on this one before we wrap it up? No, I think I've said enough. Well, listeners, we're gonna we're gonna bite our tongues, and you know, sometimes episodes go longer. Sometimes, you know, this is half an hour on something that was one sentence. Look. This is this is how podcasts are made, people. Um, somebody throws an idea, and then I, I, away yeah. it goes. I, I think these these are these are fun episodes to do. Um, and so do do a little bit do a little bit more nothing. Um, but look, listeners, if you're going to do something, listen to the Childcare Barn and Real podcast. Uh, Nicole, you got anything going on at Inspired EC you want to plug or tease or talk about or what? What do you? I don't know. There's lots that people of- should know about. There's lots of stuff going on. There's some new online training coming out on our website. There's, um, I don't know, lots of lots of bits and pieces, really. Lots of stuff in the pipeline. Um, but, yeah, lots of online training, which is just on our online community, which you can just find on our website. Go to inspiredec.com. Hey, listeners, this has been the Child Care Bar and Grill. Thanks for listening. Back soon. Bye-bye. Bye.
This has been an Explorations Early Learning Upstairs Studio production. Oh.